everybody. Hi there, I'm Larry. I'm Emily. And this is Planet and God. And I just want to say, nice shirt. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, <laughs> second time this week we've matched. I know, that's scary. What is going on? I don't know. Too much time together. <laughs> Way too much time together. So, what are we doing? So today we are doing John chapter five. John chapter five. Yeah, this will button up the week, and then you guys will have the weekend recap, and then we will start again on Monday with John chapter six. Brilliant. So without further ado, um, let's get into our thoughts after we've read John chapter five. So um, at the start, we see um, we're back at another feast again. We are. This is not the Passover. We've already we seen just that. Saw it, we right? just saw it. This would be another, another feast that would require traveling to Jerusalem. So either the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Tabernacles. We're not really sure which one, but it's one of them. Um, and so they pass uh, this sheep gate. There's a pool at yep. the sheep gate, which is called Bethesda. 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 That's. Yeah. <laughs> I'm being. Bethesda. Okay, that's not what mine says. <laughs> Mine's. Which version are you reading? New King James. And I'm reading the NET. Okay, well, Bethesda. Yeah. Something of the sort. <laughs> Something like that. Um, so what's interesting about this pool is that there is an angel that comes down and ruffles the water. So I want to stop you there because a lot of people, depending on the version of Bible you're reading, you're either going to have verse 4 or you're not going to have verse 4 and it's going to be a footnote. So you're reading New King James. So the New King James uses a different... King James and New King James use a, a different um, codex that is like a, a set of old, like the actual scriptures that they found, right? So in the um, in the newer translations, the newer manuscripts um, don't have verse four. In them. That's different. It's different, but it's not an error. That's the thing. It's not an error, and that's so this is what I, I really want to get at and hone into, um, is that this is not an error. It's not a, something wrong with your translation. It's not that King James is like the one and only because it has all the Bible verses. It's not what they found in finding there. So there are like thousands of copies of the New Testament in the original language. Like the New Testament is, there is more root text documents than there are for Homer's Iliad or, you know, the works of, of any of the great philosophers whose names I can't think right now. Um, but there's more text supporting the Bible than there is any other historical writer. And so um, what has happened is that a lot of commentator, a lot of translators think that verse four could have been added to give more context as to why this pool was so important. Because what, what you see when you read through this, um, the verse four will talk about this angel that stirs up, right? That's the legend. An angel will come and stir up the pool 
And yeah, the first person that gets in is the one that is healed. Well, there's obviously some truth to that because otherwise, why would everybody be sitting well, there either? The, right, but that's the legend. And verse four is more like this is context to the legend. And that's why some Bibles contain it. Some Bibles put it as a footnote, right? Other translations say this. So it, it's not that verse four is missing. It's just, it's more of like a contextual note. Because in verse 7, where it says, The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. Right, but he doesn't mention the angel strength. No. So that's why it's like, okay, that's not the, it's having that verse there or taking it away doesn't change the passage. No, and it doesn't change the miraculous aspect of the water being able to heal people, I don't think, right. either. Because clearly they were being healed, otherwise why would they all be sitting right. there? So I want you to know, as <laughs> you're reading, if your, ver if your version of the Bible doesn't have a verse 4 and it skips over that, it's not a problem. That's the thing. It's not a problem. Verse 4 is more like a contextual, this is why this pool is so important, or why these people are gathering around this pool. Because legend has it. An angel stirs it up. Sorry, I think I messed your thought up. But I wanted to get that out there because a lot of people will, you'll have like a King James only camp who like will use stuff like this to go, oh, your ESVs and NEVs, don't use them. They're missing Bible verses. That's not the case. It's just it's no, context. And in fact, I think it's okay to look at all different translations right. and compare and contrast. Exactly. <laughs> so... No, I don't, you didn't really mess up my thought. I basically was just saying, like, you know, this is a miraculous thing here that this pool of water does. Right. Right? Uh, whether it is from an angel or not. Yeah. God is allowing some kind of, happen. right. Yeah. Whether or not where it comes from, we don't know. But the fact of the matter is, is that these people would get in before him and he would not get a chance to go, you know? Right. He doesn't have anyone to pick him up. So Jesus just says, pick up your mat and walk. Well, I find it interesting that Jesus <clears throat> says, do you want to be made well? You know? Yeah. Jesus is saying, like, do you want it? Well, he's sitting at the pool. Well, he's asking <laughs> for him to have faith first. Well, obviously. You know, but not faith in this pool. But, right. right. I find it interesting that he's asking him and the guy's like, he clearly knows he does. And right. so instead of the man saying yes, he says, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water's stirred, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. So right. he's explaining like... The physical aspect. Of right. It. He's not saying, yes, I want it. He Right. Jesus knows he wants it. Right. That's why he's sitting there. But he's saying, this is why I can't have it. Right. Right. He's, he's giving all these physical excuses as to why he can't have it. But Jesus is like, no. Not about that. Well, also, too, he's got some hope because he right. is there. there. Right. And so there is some hope, like, maybe if nobody else is by the water yeah. when I'm there, you know. And what Jesus is saying is you don't need that, right. you know. No, he needs to change where his faith goes. Well, and he didn't even know it was Jesus at this point, I don't think. No, he didn't. Because later we find that, you know, when the Pharisees are talking to him, he's like, I don't know who did that. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, because so Jesus tells the man to pick up your mat. He does so and he starts walking. The leaders see him and they become angry. Yeah. Right. And what's interesting is that they're angry at the fact that he's carrying his mat. 
not rejoicing over the fact that this man who was lame is now walking. I was thinking that too. I'm like, so you can definitely see the difference between Jesus and the, the leaders, the yeah. religious leaders, because Jesus cared about the well-being of this man. Yeah. Um, he loved this man or loved, whatever, you know what I mean? Right. And the religious leaders... Um, cared about the law. All they care about is the law. Right. right. And, and, and what's interesting though is that they say... It is the Sabbath. You are not permitted to carry your mat. That's not in the Old Testament. Right. That is in the Mishnah. It's one of their that is extra their laws. Extra laws. From I noted the oral. that too. Yeah. The law, though, that they built that off of is based off of Jeremiah 17 verses 21 through 22, which teaches that one should not carry a load or bury a burden on the Sabbath. However, the context of Jeremiah is talking about doing something burdensome to make a profit. Yeah. I.e. work, right? Like I go work to my for job, a wage. work for a wage, mm. um, not just generally carrying your mat through the city. Yeah. Yeah, I noted all those things too. Yeah. Their love for people is not there. <laughs> right. It's not. And so then Jesus finds the man again. He talks to him and then the man goes, oh, it was Jesus. And then he goes and tells the Yeah, which the I don't get leaders. that. Why would he go back? I mean, unless... He is, well, the there's Jewish, an authority, right? Uh, they're, they're, they have an aspect of authority, the leaders do. They do, and they're not, like, yes, they might have been angry at the guy, but they're not, like, trying to condemn the guy who was healed. They want to condemn the healer, right? So they might be, like, they're trying to play both sides of the coin here to get information. Right, right, I could see that. Yeah, so uh. Jesus is identified from the as the healer and then the Pharisees turn their attention to him and start to persecute Jesus for healing on the Sabbath. Right. The man himself actually doesn't get in trouble. No, for he doesn't. He, he walks away and bed. we never hear about him again. Right. What I do think is interesting, so kind of to backtrack just a teeny bit, when Jesus does find him, he tells him, he says, see, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Right? So the first thing I notice is that he doesn't actually praise and worship him. And there's a lot of other stories within the Gospels that talk about, like, when he heals them, they praise and worship him in that yeah. moment. Um, and there, I don't see any of that here. He just picks up his bed and walks instead right. of, like, you know, dancing down the street. Like, yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> And the second thing that I thought was really interesting is that when Jesus found him again, he reminds him that he was made well and he tells him to sin no more, which brings me back and it makes me wonder what caused this infirmity, right? Was it a sin that he could have committed? Yeah, that's possible. Um, and then that brought me back to John eight eleven, which said, which is about the woman that was caught in adultery. Mm -hmm. And Jesus says... You know, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And then, so she was caught in an act, in a sinful act. Right. And so not that he was caught in a sinful act, but maybe there was yeah, some sin. kind of yeah. sin that could have caused his infirmity. Right. Which I thought was really an interesting take on it. Not that that's obviously truth, because it's a little bit of speculation there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, I'll own up to my speculation. So. There you go. <laughs> but that he also says, lest a worse thing come upon you. So saying, sin no more, because if you do, something else could happen that's worse right. than what previously, previously happened. happened. 
So I think that God or Jesus is giving this man a simple warning, right. you know, to just go and say no more. You don't want anything else bad to happen, Right. which that's a good warning for us, too. It is. You know, yeah. I mean, we're we're not perfect. So we Obviously, sin, everybody sins. But I but think he in this case, Jesus is talking about like intentional, sin, right. you know, yeah. or habitual sin, habitual, intentional, something that sin. like you're doing and you know you're doing it, right. you know, which Obviously, we're trying not to sin, right? Um, but in our lives, we we will, yep. and we do. So then, the attention turns from this man to Jesus, mm-hmm. and now Jesus has to deal with these religious leaders who are persecuting him. And Jesus' first response: "My Father is working until now, and I too am working." Right, so Jesus, in that statement, he's talking about how the Father has been working on the Sabbath since the beginning of creation. Essentially, what he's saying is that you know God finished creation in six days, rested on the seventh, but then his rest was effectively disrupted, or God's ability to rest was disrupted by sin entering the world. When Adam sinned, God is now working daily to restore mankind to him. So that's why the father is working and he now works ceaselessly to bring mankind back to himself. And so therefore, um, Jesus is working on the Sabbath because his father works on the Sabbath. I mean, I find that to be comforting to know that the Lord is constantly working, right? Because that's, that, that shows his care. It does. You know? Um, but in in all of this, Jesus is trying to claim, or he is claiming that he is equal with God. Right? He is claiming equality with God at this point in time. And that's why the Jewish leaders seek to kill him all the more. And as we see moving through the rest of Jesus' discourse, um, he is going to defend his equality with God. Yeah, and honestly, this is the biggest issue with the religious leaders is that he makes himself equal with God and he broke the Sabbath. Right. Like those were the two. There are two discrepancies. Mm-hmm. Um, the, both of those. But he really didn't break in. the Sabbath. Let's be real here. No, he didn't. <laughs> in their minds, he broke the Sabbath. Right. And in their minds, he made himself equal to God. But in reality, is that he did not break the Sabbath and he is equal with God. Right. He is Lord of the Sabbath. And in all honesty, God never intended the Sabbath to be a hardship on mankind. And the way the religious leaders were handling the Sabbath is it had become a hardship. Right? You can't do anything. You wake up, you stay in bed. Or you sit on the couch. You can't. Like, it is burdensome. Well, and is that really truly (sighs) rest either? You know what I mean? Like, when we look at rest, it doesn't mean like do nothing right i mean that is the case in some things but not i don't think spiritual rest is like that no it's not there's a big difference so one thing i found was interesting as i was reading and studying this and and i found this note from jay sidlow baxter in his book explore the bio explore the book um he points out that jesus makes seven claims of equality with god in this section so In verse 19, he claims to be equal in working with God. Um, In verse 20, equal in knowing, like his knowledge level is equal with God. 
um, in verses 21 and 28 through 29, equal in resurrecting. So God has resurrection power. The Son has resurrection power. Um, in verses 22 and 27, equal in judging. Right, The Lord has, has effectively given judgment to the Son and the Son's ability to judge. Equal in honor, in verse 23, equal in regenerating, in verses 24 and 25, and then equal in self-existence, in verse 26, there, thereby showing that Jesus was with God at the beginning. The Trinity was there in perfect unity. This all just really highlights the fact that Jesus is equal with the Father. And that is like a big no-no from the Jewish mindset, but he backs it up with his actions, with his words, with the fact that the scriptures have spoken of him. Um, and that's where we get into the next section of the witnesses for the Messiah. I think what's really amazing too here is that um, we see the authority, right? Jesus accepts and acknowledges that the authority comes from God the Father, right. too. You can see that throughout this part of Scripture. Yeah. So, um, and then, sorry, we go into the witnesses. Yeah, so we have um, all of the uh, equality with God, and now we're getting into the witnesses of who Jesus is, the fact that he is God in the flesh, and there are four witnesses that speak to that. You've got um, the... Uh, John the Baptist, his miracles, the scriptures, and Moses, all witnesses to who Jesus is. Now, one thing I thought was interesting and kind of funny, Jesus says this in verse 30. He says, I can do nothing of my own initiative. I wanted to explain that a little bit because he's not saying that he doesn't have the power to any do anything, but rather he is so closely united with the Father that he doesn't have a will of his own. Right? Everything that Jesus does is the Father's will. That's how closely united he is with it. Well, I think that, again, goes back to the authority as right. well. Right? He's acknowledging that God the Father has the authority. But yeah. it kind of reminds me of like the desires of our heart. Right. And what are the desires of our heart? And when that aligns with Christ, our desires become Christ's desires. Yeah, they do. And that's a picture of this. Yep. You know? Wholeheartedly. Any right. thoughts from you? I've been talking a lot here. I mean, I basically noted the same things, right? He's talking in this, these, in this section or whatever, he is talking to the religious leaders, yep. right? Which I find it heartwarming that God cares so much that he's like, I understand you guys have hard hearts yeah. and I'm just going to do what I can to lay it all out yep. there, you know? So knowing whether, whether or not they believe, because I would imagine that some of them probably did come yeah. to the knowledge uh, that Jesus oh, Christ is the Son of God. Probably did. I think so, too. <clears throat> yeah. um, but I think it's just, it's comforting to know that even with hard hearts, that God still you know, yeah. makes a way. Yep. He, he puts that out there, and he's like, I'm not just, you know, these words are important. Yep. You're, they're not, whether or not they believe or not, right, they're important. They're important to the religious leaders. They're important to unbelievers, they're important to believers for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. For salvation, definitely. for learning purposes, for being a witness. Yep. You know? I liked that. Yeah. So that's all I got. Cool. You?
Well, that's it. All right. So that wraps up the first week. Congratulations. You've made it this far. One week in, several to go. Yes. So um, we'll catch you on Monday for John chapter 6. And uh, have a good weekend. All right. See ya. Bye. Thank you.